You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Good morning. All right, well, um, as you find your way to your seats this morning, I want to thank Dave for setting up this morning. Uh, That's right, one guy uh, set up this morning, so uh, just a reminder, we could always use help in that ministry. Uh, Also, this guy's, uh, you may be thinking, this doesn't seem like there's as many teenagers around uh, this morning. Uh, they are up in Edmonton. Uh, there's not all our teens, but some of our teens are up there. And uh, they're going to be serving Redemption Edmonton. And so they're ushering and welcoming, and Nathan's going to be preaching, and they're leading in worship. So just serving the church up there so you could be in prayer for them uh, this morning as well. Well, the text that we're going to be looking at this morning is uh, a weighty text. It's a hard text um, it's a, it's a text that ought to stir our emotions, it ought to change and form our minds, it ought to change our actions. I mean, no different than, than any uh, text that we would read, but I, I think in the day and age in which we live, um, there is a certain weight to it that we ought to uh, have, that we ought to understand uh, we need to understand as we look this morning at the Word of God that the most destructive force on this planet is sin. Uh, there is no greater destruction. It, it divides, it kills, it destroys. And um, we're going to see that in full display as we study our text this morning. I want us to be uh, considering how we view sin as individuals. How do you view sin What do you call sin? Whether or not, I want us to think about whether or not we fear sin, whether we hate sin. And as I mentioned already, I want us to see that the consequences of sin are devastating. And so what I want us to do to get going this morning is I want us to just stop. We've had this opportunity to worship the Lord God in song, and that's helped set our hearts and minds, hopefully, in a good place. But I also want us just to to take a moment to have the Lord examine our hearts. And so I I want us to, first of all, pray uh, in light of Jeremiah 17.9. And Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so as we begin our time of prayer, I want you just to acknowledge before a holy God that you are sinful. I want you just to ask him to help you to show you what your sin is in your life and just ask for his forgiveness. So you just go to the Lord now, Lord, forgive me for Lord, we think of the hymn, Prone to Wander. Lord, I feel it. God, we would agree with what your word says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
God, left to ourselves, we would walk in rebellion against you all of our days. Lord, we would hate righteousness and we would love sin. And so God, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace this morning. But God, we don't wanna walk in our sin. We don't wanna live in our sin. So God, would you lead us Lord, your word says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. God, we want to acknowledge you, to, before you this morning that uh, there, there are things going on in our hearts and minds that we have yet to acknowledge, Lord, that there are things that, um, that we think are okay, but that your word says they're not okay. And God, as such, we want your word to be the authority in our lives. God, help us not to be hardened in regards to sin, but Lord, help us to be quick to repent. Lord, even now, examine our hearts, God. Is there unforgiveness in our lives? Lord, is there anger in our lives, hatred, jealousy, envy, strife? God, help us to be quick to repent. Lord, the, the sin of pride so often keeps us from humbling ourselves before you. And I pray right now, God, you would humble us before you. That, Lord, we would do what you would want us to do. That, Lord, we would confess our sins before you. Acknowledge sin as sin. And then, Lord, walk in your ways. Lord, help us, we pray. And, Lord, at the end of that psalm, it says, and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Lord, as we look at this chapter, sadly, we are going to see so many similarities in our country, in our city, and in our own hearts. God, we are so sorry for our sin. Lord, we would plead with you today. Would you help us? Would you help us to love your ways? Would you help us to walk in holiness? Lord, may we each day wake up in humility, saying, God, in our flesh we will fail, but Lord, by the power of your spirit, Lord, today, Lord, because you've given us a new heart and a new mind, because we are new creations, we have the ability to be freed from our sin and to walk in your righteousness. Lord, lead us, help us. Lord, I pray that that would be our prayer by the time we leave here today, that, Lord, we would have hearts that are in line with yours, Lord, that we would have hearts not only that would uh, reflect you in our, in, our, in our thinking and in our desires, but, Lord, also would reflect you in our desire to see the lost around us saved. Lord, we do pray for our country. Lord, it is so... Uh, in rebellion against you right now. God, everything that, that you say in your word, Lord, they have twisted. And yet, God, if you can save Nineveh, you can save Canada. And so, Lord, we're praying, would you be merciful? Would you help our country? Or would you bring about repentance? Lord, you've done it before. We ask that you would do it again. Lord, would you use us to that end? So now, Lord, lead this preacher. Help him to speak only your words. Help us to hear from you, Lord, that we might become more like you for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we all need Bibles. 
If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip up your hand. We're going to be looking at Genesis 19. So important today as, we, as with every day that we would see that I'm not making this stuff up, right? We only have one authority, and that is the Word of God. Why the Bible? Why do we say that this is our authority? Because we believe that God is responsible for every word in this book. He has revealed himself not only through creation and through Jesus Christ, but he's revealed himself to us through the authority of his word. And so we come under it this morning, and we're going to be looking at Genesis 19. Genesis 19. And we're going to read the whole thing first, and then we're going to break down what we see together. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are there men who who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let them let, let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. And the men said to Lot, have you, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, 
that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he looked. Behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of the furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make, drink, let, let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters lot of Lot became pregnant by their father, the firstborn a son, and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. A weighty passage about sin. And this morning I want us to see four facts about sin. Four facts about sin. First, I want us to see the detriment of sin, the detriment of sin. As we begin the passage, we see that the angels are now on their way to Sodom. If you were with us last week, you recall there had been the Lord and two angels come to Abraham. They had spent time with Abraham. They had uh, ate a meal with him. And then they had revealed, the Lord had revealed to Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham had pleaded with him, with the Lord, on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he had said, you know, Lord, if there's 50, would you save them? And he said, okay, well, for the sake of 50 righteous, I will save them. And then he said 40, and then he said 30, and he got all the way down to 10. And, and the Lord said, even if there were 10 found, I would not destroy them. And so now these angels have come into Sodom. We find that Lot is in the gate if you understand anything about the Old Testament, to be in the gate, this was a place of decision-making. This is where business dealings were done. Legal proceedings would happen. And so it seems as if Lot is trying to have an influence in this town that he lives in, this city of Sodom. But as we're going to see, as we've seen in the text, this is not a great city to live in. It's having an impact on Lot, the being in this place with all these unrighteous people. Ross says this about Lot. He preferred making money off of the citizens 
to staying in the hills where there would be no filthy living, but also no good life either. We see this pull towards the finances. When we read Ezekiel 16 about Sodom, we see that it was a place of excess of food and prosperous ease. This is likely what's keeping Lot in Sodom. It's the prosperous ease. It's the abundance of food. It's, it's what he can get financially out of the place called Sodom. And so he remains there. How bad is this place? Well, when these two angels come before him, he, he bows down before him, no different than what Abraham had done. He invites them to stay at his place. And the, and the angels said, yeah, no, we're going to stay in the town square tonight. Well, Lot is not okay with that being an option. He, he, it says that he presses them on this. He, the other way you could put it is he pleads with them. He begs them not to stay in the town square. Why? Like, what's the big deal? It's like he's just really bent on hospitality. Is that what's going on here? You know, he just loves to have some guest over every evening. That's what's going on. No, what's going on is he understands how wicked this place is, that if, he, if these two angels stay in the square, it will not be okay for them. It is a dangerous place to be in the town square. And so he pleads with them to come and stay with them. And so they agree. As we continue to think about the detriment of sin, I want us to drop down to verse 13. We see that in this place there's an outcry against his people and that it has become great before the Lord and that the Lord has sent these angels to destroy it. This outcry of sin, any time in the Old Testament we see it, it's in regards to abuse, oppression. When we see the outcry in Genesis 4, a murder has happened. God cares what's happening on this earth, and, and as the, the sins are multiplied in Sodom, the cries come out to the Lord, and it gets to the point where the Lord can no longer wait to judge it. We read in the text that, in our Bibles, that the Lord is slow to anger, that he is patient, that he's not willing that any should suffer, but at some point, the wrath of God must come, and for Sodom, this is it. The detriment of sin. Sin is never beneficial. Do we understand that? I mean, let's just start with the beginning. Sin separates us from God. So anytime we sin, we are being separated from the one who created us. But what does sin do? What, 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 what does it also do? Well, it, it hurts you spiritually, but it also hurts those around you. I mean, just think about some of the sins that are listed in a place like Galatians. We see abuse as a result of sin. We see hurt as a result of sin. We see oppression. People are used. People are hated. People are slandered. We see envy, strife, jealousy, divisions, dissensions, enmity, and all kinds of immorality. That is all rooted in sin. It should be obvious to all of us that sin is not beneficial. And yet, we live with the theology that it is beneficial. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many times did you sin this last week thinking that it was good? That, that yes, 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 I know the Bible says blah, 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 you know, that was your heart, blah, 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 but I'm going to do it. I think that it's best for me right now. 
But I want us to see and hear this morning that sin is always detrimental. There's never a benefit from it. As we've seen in this text, as we've already read, Lot, one of Lot's biggest downfalls of living in this city is he's not shepherded his family. His wife is tied to this place and his daughters are pretty messed. I think we can all agree with that. They, they, they are not in a good place as a result of him keeping them in this place. This chapter highlights the corrosiveness of sin. And when, when sin is left unchecked, there is an ever-increasing amount of wickedness, right? It, 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 sin is never satisfied. It is always hungry. We just think about our society. What was known as, I don't know, if our society might have still called it sin 50 years ago, but they would say it was wrong. What our society said was wrong sexually 50 years ago is not the same as it was 40 years ago, is not the same as it was 30 years ago, was not the same as 20 years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago. Do we see what's happening? As we have just kind of cast off all restraint when it comes to sexuality, there's this ever-increasing wickedness. And what will happen, I believe, unless the Lord restrains us, is something like pedophilia, which right now everyone would say that would never happen in our society. It will happen. When there is no restraint, sin is never satisfied. It's increasing of getting worse and worse and worse. The, the, the escapes that we have used as a society. Use, alcohol used to be the big one, right? Alcohol, that's how we use, we use that to escape. And then we've moved to marijuana. Marijuana, it's okay, it's all good, it's actually healthy. It's all good. Probably better than alcohol. Let's just do use that to escape. And now what? There's a province to the west of us that says, hey, hard drugs, as long as there's not a lot of it, it's okay. It's okay. Do we see that sin is never satisfied? The way we would dress, you know, it just continually gets more and more provocative. Sin is never satisfied. What's the results? What's the impact on society? Well, families have been destroyed. More people than ever are growing up in homes that are not traditional. There are places in cities now where, like, the police are saying, you don't want to go there. That's as a place of this city. You don't want to enter that part of the city. Why? Because there's no consequences for sin anymore. And it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Sin is a detriment to society and to you and I. Are you convinced of that this morning? So what should our response be? Well, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to ask the Lord that he would help us to hate sin as much as he hates it. We need to ask him that he would help us to see areas in our own lives where we're compromising in sin. Listen, we're great at pointing out sin in someone else, aren't we? Professionals. We can see it from a mile away. Look at that sin. 
But what about in your own heart? Jeremiah 17, 9, we already looked at it. Our hearts are deceitful. God, help us. Help us to see the sin in our own lives. Help us to cast it out. Help us to repent of it as quickly as possible from our lives, not wanting anything to do with it. Lord, where am I believing that just a little bit of sin is okay? Actually, good for my diet. Just a little bit of sin. Is that, where am I believing that? God, show me. Help me to repent of that. Lord, help us to see that sin always hurts and is never for the benefit of anyone. Lord, help us to be convinced of that. Four facts about sin. The detriment of sin. Secondly, we see the deception from sin. The deception from sin. Going back to earlier in the chapter, we, we were told that these men have come to the city or they're at Lot's house. And then we were told that, that men from Sodom come to the house. Who comes? What does the text say? Both young and old, all the men of the city. Why is that emphasized? Well, chapter 18, even if there's 10 righteous, Lord, if there was 10 righteous, would you spare that city? And what we're seeing in the text, listen, there's not 10 righteous. They've come, these men, they've come, and, 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 and they want to now destroy or sorry, these men have come, and what they want to do is they want to have relations with these two men. And so they call out to Lot, hey, bring them out. And so Lot tries to do the right thing, but in a very wrong way. Can we all agree with this? Like, this is narrative, right? We're reading what actually happened. We're not being prescribed, hey, this is what you ought to do. You should try to stop sin by sinning. And this is what he's doing. Hamilton puts it like this. Rather than attempt to raise the moral conscience of the sodomites, he offers to assuage their lust by handing over his two virgin daughters. He's willing to make his daughters vulnerable for the sake of his guests, but he's not willing to offer himself. That's an interesting insight by Hamilton. How many times... Are you and I trying to stop sin by sinning ourselves? I think if I'm to read our culture, our time in which we live right now, I would see anger is 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 a big blind spot for the Christian church right now. We see the sin around us, and we think that getting angry and hateful towards someone is the answer to that problem. That's not the answer to the problem. So God, help us respond to sin with righteousness. But Lot does not. He's right in saying what he's saying. What does he say? He's begging with them to to not act so wickedly. He's right in saying that. He, He understands what is right and what is wrong, and what they are proposing is wicked. But what do they think of his counsel? Verse nine, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. Sin has so deceived these men that their response to a challenge about sin is violence. Right? it It is... 
deeply troubling how many similarities we see in this chapter to what we see going on in our society today. If you challenge someone that the Bible says they are in sin, their response is not repentance, is it? Their response is what? Who are you? What did they say here? You are a sojourner. You don't, you're not even from Sodom. Who made you judge over us? They don't talk about the sin. They don't, they don't try to rationalize that the sin is okay. Instead, they come forcefully against him. They threaten violence, and they say, who are you? Does that ring any bells to what we see going on in our society today? Who are you, you bunch of Christians, you bunch of hypocrites? Look at all the, look at all the terrible things the church has done over the centuries. Who are you to tell us what is right and what is wrong? And sadly, there are churches like, wait a minute, we found a revision. We found, we found that what the Bible says is sin actually doesn't, doesn't mean that. We found a way to, to change it. Are we okay now? Are we all friends now? And what they're doing by that is adding to wickedness and losing any hope of reaching those people for Christ. We must say what the Bible says. It says in 1 Peter 4.4, with respect to this, and he's just given a list of sins in, in 1 Peter 4, he says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. What do you mean you are not joining us in our celebrations? What do you mean you're not joining us in doing what we're telling you to do? How could you be so hateful? How could you not join us in what we're doing? It's, it's like we should not be surprised by the day in which we live. It is found in the scripture over and over again. And as it was in the days of Lot, so it was in the days of Peter, and so it is in our day today. This is what sin does. It hardens people's hearts so they are unable to see what sin is. They, their consciences continually being hardened as to what is right and what is wrong. Romans 1, again, a great picture of reminder of what happens when we Worship the creation versus the creator when we turn away from his word. It says that they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They claim to be wise and instead become fools. And if you and I are to not be deceived by sin, that we must repent of sin and we must call sin what it is. We must use the word of God as our authority. We must say what sin is based on this book and not on our own opinion. When we gather together, we need to challenge one another in regards to our holiness. We read in Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is what sin does. It, it deceives you and I. And if we 
get out on our own and we do our own thing. This is why I'm always so worried about the church in the summertime, because I get it. It's beautiful out. It's like, who wants to be in a building? Let's be out, you know, let's go camping every week, every day. You know, like, I understand the pull for that. But what happens spiritually is that we can get deceived by our sin. So I'm not telling you not to go camping this summer. Listen to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you got to be on guard against sin in your life. How are you going to do that this summer? What's your spiritual plan so that you would not become hardened to sin in your life? There's no one that is exempt from this. This is not just a Sodom problem. It's not just a problem in Rome at the time. This is an all of us humanity problem. So we've seen there's hardening. In this text, we also see that there's enslaving that happens as a result of the deception of sin. Verse 11, we read that the angels, they, they, they reach out, they grab the man, they bring him in, and then we see that they were struck with blindness. The, man, they, sorry, the, the, the angel struck the, the, the men with blindness who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Do, do we get the picture of what's going on here? They're intent on fulfilling their lusts. They want to do what they want to do, and nobody is going to stop them. And now they're blind. That does not cause fear in their hearts. They do not run from their sin. Instead, they're groping for the door to still try to fulfill their lusts. This is a picture of the enslavement of sin. It has caused great detriment to you, and yet you just keep doing it over and over and over again. I mean, think about our society. I mean, how many centers are there for those who are enslaved in their sin today? Whether it's through drunkenness or drugs, pornography, so many vices for you and I to be enslaved in. How many of us are sitting here this morning, you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? Every time it ends badly, every time you feel guilt and, and sorrow and the thing that you thought was going to bring fulfillment, but it has not brought fulfillment, and you just keep keeping it to yourself, thinking that, no, 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 I'm in control. I'm in control. I, that's, the sin is not in control. I'm in control. And yet you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And I pray this morning that God would help you to see that you know you are enslaved in your sin. Christ has died to set you free, but you have wrapped yourself up in the chains of sin again. And the only way that you can be set free from that sin is to confess it and to find hope in Christ Jesus. Now we see disbelief. We've seen hardening. We've seen enslavement. And then we see, through the deception of sin, we see disbelief. The angels tell Lot, judgment is coming, and to warn anyone he's connected with. Which, by the way, if you're a believer here this morning, it's great. Your relatives should be thankful for you, right? 
because you are salt and light to them and for them. And we see Lot, he's having an opportunity to be salt and light for his family's sake. And he's saying, listen, go and tell your family to, to, that, that they need to get out of here. And, and, and so we see he goes, uh, and, 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 I, and commentaries were not helpful to me this week when it comes to this issue. I was so frustrated, right? So where's he going? Who, who, who are these lads? Where are they? The only thing, like, this is the, the Peacock commentary on this, so very sketchy. We'll see. But, but what? Every man in Sodom has just surrounded the house. So as best as I can figure, these guys live outside of Sodom, right? In a nearby town. Because I don't think they were just outside the door trying to break down the door, Right? That's the best I can figure. So he goes out, goes to these guys and says, hey, this place is being destroyed. He says exactly this, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. I mean, how heartbreaking is this? (laughs) A lot. You're such a kidder. All right, man, I don't know why you're up so late, but see you in the morning. This word for jesting, it's no different than what Sarah did when she heard about the promise that she was going to have a baby and laughed. That same disbelief. But sadly for these guys, there is no second opportunity. They will be destroyed within hours. We're not told why they don't believe. Did they think, come on, Sodom's not that bad of a place. As if God would destroy it. Did they not even believe that there was a God? We're not told. All we're told is that they think he's joking, and as a result of that, they will be part of the destruction the next day. Hughes says this about the situation. In their fleshly security, they did not believe in divine judgment. Men like that think all such talk is a joke. Thus, they establish their guilt beyond all doubt. I mean, God knew their hearts. Judgment came upon them. It's interesting, as we read the scriptures, we live in a day no different than they did. And the Bible warns us over and over again, 315 times we're told in the New Testament that Jesus is returning. And when Jesus comes, he will bring judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah against all godlessness. Every single person who has walked in rebellion against God will be judged. They will be wiped away from the face of this earth. There will be no exception. Jesus tells it like this in Luke chapter 17, verse 28. He says this, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When's Jesus coming back? Soon. I don't know. Like, like, I think the world's going to get a lot more crazy. Well, what was going on here? There was eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, life was going on as normal. So, can Jesus come back today? Yes, he can come back today. Let us be ready for his coming. Some will mock out the fact that he is coming. 2 Peter 3, 4 
2 Peter 3, 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. (laughs) Okay, 2,000 years, you guys have been saying he's coming soon. Good one. Good one. Maybe after 1,000 years, we would have believed you. But after 2,000 years, I think you're just blowing smoke, right? I don't believe that he's coming back to judge this earth. Many people will be judged. And I'm praying this morning that you're here because God wants to warn you from that. He wants you to know that he loves you and cares for you. And he has not yet brought judgment because there's still some to be saved. Maybe it's you this morning. So it's my prayer that we would not disbelieve that we would take heed to God's word, that we would see Sodom and Gomorrah as a warning, that we would not take sin lightly in our lives. As we think about these three things, the hardening of sin, the enslavement of sin, and and the disbelief in regards to sin, I want us to, again, look, Lord, show us our hearts. Lord, where am I hardened in regards to sin in my life? Where am I saying there's sin in my life that is acceptable? Maybe things that, I, that before I was deeply convicted on, I'm not convicted on anymore. God, are there some of those things in my life that I need to repent of? Show me, God. Help me not to, to kind of continue to follow along with my society. Help, help me to see that, that, that maybe I am being changed by the culture that I live in, that my flesh cries out for what which the world offers, and I'm being pulled along with it. God, show me what those things might be. Lord, help me not to be hardened to these things. This morning, are you still sensitive to the Spirit's leading in your life? When you come together with your brothers and sisters, are you concerned about their holiness, about their sanctification? Are you encouraging them and strengthening them that they might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? And then what about when it comes to enslavement? I've already touched on this. Is there some things in your life that, that, that are happening that keep happening that you are now enslaved in that sin? And the only way to, to break that will be to confess it to someone else, to get help for, for your sin. Are there patterns in your life that you need to repent of today? Is the Lord right now even opening your eyes to see that you are not in control? That sin has a hold on you? And then what about when it comes to disbelief? This book is our authority. Do we agree with that this morning? What's so interesting about Genesis 19 is that everybody has their hobby horses, right? Oh yeah, Genesis Sodom. That's where we find out that God hates homosexuality. That's what the text is all about. God, God hating homosexuality. And that's why, he's, he, that's why he brings judgment. Is that the only thing that's going on here? That's not the only thing that's going on here. I want us just to touch on a few texts here. Second Peter 2. And I'm just going to, for the sake of time, I'm just going to highlight what's going on. But 2 Peter 2, 7 through 10 says that there's sexual conduct happening. There are lawless deeds happening in Sodom, that the people of Sodom indulged in the lust of defiling passion, that they despised authority. 
There's more than just one sin that Sodom is being judged for. Judge 7 says that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Isaiah 3, 8 and 9 says that the people of Sodom sinned shamelessly, that they made no effort to conceal it. In other words, they knew it was sin and they did not care and they celebrated it. They thought anybody who would call them out on that was sinful themselves. In Jeremiah 23, 14, we see that, that, that the prophets of Jerusalem are being compared to Sodom. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a terrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Again, the idolatry, walking in lies. These are more sins which brought upon condemnation upon this place of Sodom, strengthening the hands of evildoers. Instead of turning them away from their sin, they strengthen the hands of evildoers. How, how wicked a thing that churches would say sin is not sin. They would strengthen the hands of evildoers rather than calling them to Repentance. And then Ezekiel 16, I've touched on this already, tells us the sin of Sodom was pride, that they had the excess of food and prosperous ease, and yet they did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did abomination before the Lord. Let us call sin what God calls sin, every single one of them. This passage is not just about homosexuality, nor is this passage saying that homosexuality is okay. But let us call all sins what they are, as the Bible tells us. Let us not be deceived by sin. Thirdly, we see the devastation of sin. Sodom and Gomorrah becomes an example of what happens to ungodly people. We should be warned by what we see here. It's interesting, what we see in this account is there's so many parallels to what we see in Genesis 6 with the flood account. In Genesis 6, we saw the angels were having sexual relations with women. Here, men are trying to do the same. In Genesis 6, 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here, we see it in 1918. We are told that Lot was saved because he was righteous in 2 Peter 2, 8. Noah was also saved because he was a righteous man. The Lord destroyed all the earth when he destroyed it with a flood. Here we see that he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. There was complete destruction of that area. Ultimately, Noah comes to rest on a mountain. Lot escapes to the hills. After all is said and done, both of them have incidents of drunkenness that bring shame. Noah knows what his son has done. Lot does not know what his daughters have done. The result is that families are born who will be hostile to the nation of Israel. Both of these accounts show us that although the Lord is slow to anger and patient, he will not be mocked, and judgment does come against all unrighteousness. Both the flood and Sodom are meant to be warnings for us all. In other places in the Bible, Sodom is used to show how quickly and unexpectedly judgment will come. 
And also it highlights the totality of the destruction that will happen. They warn us of eternal judgment. We see in Jude 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. He's saying this is an example to all of us, even today, of, it, of what will happen with eternal fire. 2 Peter 2.6 Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. This is what will happen to all the ungodly. There is no exception. Although Lot was spared, we see that there was also devastation in his life as a result of sin. In his effort to do a righteous thing, he had failed as a father and failed to be righteous. I love what Ross says here. As long as the Lord had left Lot and his family alone in Sodom, Lot managed to live comfortably there and to hold and hold to his personal belief in God. But ultimately, he could not hold to both. Sodom would have destroyed Lot if the Lord had not destroyed Sodom. You could see that, that, that he was being influenced. He was he he he, he lost everything. When I mean, you think about the, the life of Lot. His compromising life, the, the kind of one foot with the world and one foot with the, with, with the Lord, did not work out for him. Do you remember, do you guys recall, it's been a while now, but do you recall why he moved to Sodom in the first place? Because he had so much stuff, right? He had so much stuff, so many servants, they're all fighting with Abraham's guys. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to choose that land over there. That's the good stuff. I don't really care what's going on, morally speaking. I see prosperity. That's where I'm going to go. And as a result of his choices, he's literally lost everything. Where are his servants? We can only assume that they also were killed. Where is his stuff? Well, it's all burned up. Where is his wife? Well, she's dead because she loved the things of this world. His daughters, not so good. Let us be warned that if we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. Now, many of us here this morning are hoping to be like Lot. It does not tend to be an example that we look to be. Yet, as we look at it this morning, I believe that he is an example for you and I. Last, we see the deliverance from sin. The deliverance from sin. The first thing I want, to, uh, I want to point out is that Lot is not saved because of his good works. Do we see that this morning? Is Lot saved because of his good works? How many think he was saved because of his good works here today? Right? Nobody's thinking that, right? He is saved because he is a man of faith. He believed the word of the Lord, and even when he was struggling and lingering in his obedience, the Lord saved him. We see that in verse 16. But he lingered, so the man seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great word to you and I this morning? That the Lord would be merciful to sinners like you and I? When we are slow to believe when he says that he would draw us along, that he would help us, and he, that he, then he brought him out of the city and sent him outside the city. 
If all we had to, to go on was Genesis 19, I don't know that any of us here might would call him righteous, right? Like you just go through the text. Angels show up, check Mart on the, on the righteous side, right? Wants to host them, wants to bless them. Wicked men come to his door, check mark on the unrighteous side. Listens to the warning of judgment, check mark on the righteous side, right? He, he warns his sons-in-law, check mark on the righteous side. Everybody get out of town, he lingers, check mark on the unrighteous side. Go and flee to the hills, eh, I don't want to go that far, and, and, and let's, he, why is he saying, what is he saying, I'm going to get taken out if I run to the hills. Do we, does anyone really believe that was the real reason? I, he wants to go to Zoar. Why? It'll be a lot more comfortable. It'd be a lot more easy living there. But what does he find out? It's full of wicked people. It was supposed to be wiped out, which I believe is an answer to Abraham's prayer as well, that there were more people saved because of his prayers. But that's a side, right? So he goes to Zoar, and, he, and we're told, all we're told is that he leaves because he's afraid. Why? Because it's the same wicked people who are living there. Hey, how did you escape from Sodom? How are you the only one that was spared, right? I don't know if that's what's going on, but I would think, I would guess that's what's going on. And so he's like, man, they're going to come after me. And so now he flees to the hill, and, and he finally gets to the cave, and then what? Check mark on the unrighteous side again. He gets so drunk. Now, unfortunately, some of you understand what that means to get drunk. And you may understand also what it means that you drank so much you don't remember anything. I mean, that's commitment. You, you have to be committed to the cause to get to that point. And he doesn't do it just on one night. He does it on two nights in a row. Check mark on the unbelief side, unrighteous side. I don't know. Is he going to get into heaven or not? That's how people think, Right? Was there enough righteous deeds to overcome the unrighteous deeds? Well, listen. Second Peter tells us that he was a righteous man. How is that possible? Through faith alone. Through faith alone. That's how we're made righteous. Second Peter 2, 7. And, he, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Listen. We didn't, we didn't, well, they, I don't read this in Genesis 19. Where was, where was Lot's heart at when he was living in Sodom? He was greatly distressed by the sexual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Listen, Lot was troubled deeply by the sin that he saw around him. Another way of saying it is that he was tortured by what he saw around him. You know, it's easy for you and I to stand in judgment a lot, isn't it? Man, oh man, that lot. Well, we can, it's easy to do because his sins are written down. How about we do this? How about we write down all of the sins, not before you came to Christ, let's just write down all the sins that have been in your life since you came to faith in Christ, and then let us say whether or not we think you should be condemned or not. Do you see what I'm getting at? So easy for us to condemn Lot. And listen, I'm not belittling his sin. It was... 
horrific. It's terrible. But let us not be those who have a log in our own eye. Let us be those who would see that, no, there is much sin in my own life. And if it's a balance of scales between righteous versus unrighteousness as to whether or not I'm getting saved, I would be condemned, just as Lot have been condemned. But because of his faith, he was credited as, it was credited to him as righteousness. I mean, listen, you want to you start getting convicted here. I think maybe, if we're being honest, Lot's more righteous than you and I. Are you tormented by what you're seeing happening in our country right now? Day by day, it says. Not just a fleeting thought every now and then, but he's torn up, he's tortured by what he's seeing around him. Lord, Lord, help us to be tortured by what we're seeing around us. Let us not be apathetic. Let us not become numb to these things. Let us not be hardened by these things, but let us run out of this place and save as many people as we can as we herald the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person who is enslaved in their sin, who who would maybe want to threaten you or kill you or hurt you in some way is enslaved in their sin. They're blinded to the truth of the gospel and they desperately need a savior. And they will only hear about that savior by you and I going out to them. And so I pray that this this text would stir our hearts. Listen, we don't have to think, well, I don't know how to apply this. Like Like the town he lived in was so different than our town. Our town is no different than his town. And so may we, we also go out to the lost. May we tell them that they too can be saved through faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. As we've been studying the book of Genesis, listen, next week, or two weeks from now, she's my sister, part two. Abraham had his share of unrighteousness as well. And what these texts are telling us over and over again is that God is a God full of mercy and grace. And if we would place our hope and trust in him, he will lead us in the way everlasting. This text reminds us that the Lord has the power to save. 2 Peter 2.9. If you want to put that verse up again, Matthew, thank you. Then the Lord knows how, listen, look at the end there. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous after punishment until the day of judgment. God knows how to rescue you this morning. Do you believe that? As you go from this place, do not shrink back, but be bold and compassionate for his namesake because he knows how to protect you. And if he would choose not to protect you, it's for your good and for his glory. But he will keep you in his arms. His love will never be taken away from you as a child of God. And he will take you to that place one day when we will be in his presence forevermore. He has the power to save. And this is what this text is telling us. This morning, if you're wrestling with sin and feeling condemned, then look to the Lord, repent of your sin, and renew your trust in him. If you are in Christ, he has already broken the chains of sin in your life. You are no longer condemned. Christ has paid your debt in full, so now live for him. Romans 6.11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from that old life. Let us live by the power of his spirit. 
The last thing I want us to note as we close here this morning, I want us to note that our Lord is a God who brings good out of evil man's actions. Listen, if he couldn't do that, if he was not powerful enough to do that, then he should have got rid of us all a long, long time ago because all we do is sin. But what he does is he takes evil man's actions and he brings about good. Who's the most famous Moabite? Ruth. Whole book written about her. We see this wickedness of incest going on here. But generations later, God had a plan for this Moabite woman, and she became a part of the line of the Messiah, the one who would come, the one who would destroy Satan and free us from our sins. If, there's, if you're looking for examples of how God uses our wickedness to bring about good, then look to the cross. We hated him, we cursed him, we beat him, we spit upon him. And while he's on the cross, he takes the wrath of God. What does the wrath of God look like? Fire and brimstone. He takes that wrath and places it upon himself so that you and I might be saved. He is the one who can deliver you from your sin. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know that this morning? I pray this morning if you have come in here just knowing about God, but never having put your trust in him, that you would see that he is good, that he is loving. I pray that all of us are feeling the weight of sin this morning. But at the same time, we are seeing that we have an amazing Savior. The Apostle Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will save me? And then what did he say? But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved through him. We are saved through him. This morning, as you feel the weight of your sin, cry out to Jesus He is a great Savior. He alone can deliver you from the detriment, deception, and devastation of sin. And he is faithful. Let me pray. Lord, our hearts are heavy because of sin this morning. We see its detriment, its deception, its devastation all around our country, in our cities, in our own hearts. And God, I pray that we would leave here hating sin more than when we came in. And at the same time, Lord, I pray that we would love you more and that we see that you are the one who has come to deliver us from our sin. Lord, in the same way that you saved Lot out of the wrath of God in Sodom, Lord, you are saving us out of the wrath to come even now. And God, it is your desire, it is your will to still save others. That is why you have not yet returned, but judgment is coming. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, we pray that we would love righteousness, that we would love your ways that those who are struggling and wrestling in sin, even right now this morning, that they would be quick to repent of that sin and place their trust in you anew today. May they see that, Lord, freedom is found in you and you alone. 
Life is found in you and you alone. God, lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, thank you that you're merciful. Thank you that you're gracious towards us. Lord, as we would leave this place, Lord, help us to take the message of hope of the gospel to this lost and dying world. Lord, help us not to shrink back. Help us to have bold compassion for your name's sake, that many yet might be saved to the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.